it's my privilege now to introduce to the group our keynote speaker. Please join me in welcoming Dr. William McCoy. Dr. McCoy is the director of the Rutland Institute for Ethics at Clemson University. He holds a bachelor's degree in English from Northern Illinois University, a master's degree in continuing and vocational education from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and a doctorate in education administration from Edgewood College. Please join me in welcoming Dr. William McCoy. Shalom Haverim, Shalom Haverim, Shalom, Shalom. Lairao, Lairao, Shalom, Shalom, Shalom Haverim, Shalom Haverim, Shalom, Shalom. Lairao, Lairao, Shalom, Shalom. So there you have a black man from Illinois living in South Carolina who loves greens and hot water cornbread, who knows a little bit about a Jewish song. For those of you that are Jewish, please forgive me for butchering that song. But I did the best, I had bonitized it, but I did the best I could. Good morning. Good morning. I said good morning. Good morning. As has been stated, my name is Dr. William McCoy. I understand that my mayor is here. I am from Clemson, or I work in Clemson, but I live in Liberty. Where's my mayor? She stepped out. Now, y'all know I want to say something about that. <laughs> but I am so happy. I'm so happy to be here today. I am the director of the Rutland Institute for Ethics. And it is my pleasure to be here today to talk to you about the intersectionality of civility and ethics. Let me get myself settled. There's a lot of papers up here. Let me begin by showing you a clip of an event that we have become all too familiar with. Return to your service of Satan in your ignorant belief that you are right. Please, in the future, respect my rights. No one else's. You will never get my six foot space. And then think I'm not going to tell you. I will tell you you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Oh, I know. Stop me. I know. Do you want to stop? Don't touch her. Don't touch her. Bring your police. Have Bring your police. Have a good You will not. Have a good day. I got you on video, so why don't you just go ahead and leave? I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My happiness is best served by standing in your face and say you're a fool and wrong. You have no authority over me. Quit 
spitting all over people. Huh? Quit spitting all over people. Do you need my ID? No, I don't. I need You're trying to like witness that I'm wrong. No, if you touch me, I have. Kathleen Parker, and, and, and by the way, I had trouble finding a clip that was not so full of expletives that I felt comfortable showing. That was as close as I could get. Kathleen Parker from the Washington Post wrote a February 18th, 2012 article. It was an opinion article entitled The Real Threat to Civility. Parker insightfully reminds us that inevitably discussions about the current state of civility, this is 2012, discussions about the current state of civility began with disclaimers and acknowledgement that Americans have always been a bunch of rowdies and rascals. And I had to give real thought to that perspective. We've always been a bunch of rowdies and rascals. Hmm. Let's see how that measures up. This country was founded on individuals who broke away from archaic, overbearing, and stifling monarchy rule and questionable religious strongholds. Our anger over taxation without representation resulted in us dumping over 300 chests of imported tea into the Boston Harbor, an act of defiance to get, let Great Britain know we weren't going to be rolled over like meek little sheep anymore. As a fledgling nation, we engaged in civil war over, among other things, the legitimacy of internal oppressive rule and a required redefining of the phrase, all men are created equal. Theodore Roosevelt helped us learn how to walk softly but carry a big stick in a world that yet looked at us as the new kids on the Western block, questioning our ability to assert ourselves on the burgeoning global stage. Women who graciously lived in the shadows of male dominance took to the streets to protest injustice on the political front and demanded equal opportunity in the voting booths. Looked like to me the women ought to say something. Schoolhouse Rock said it best to describe the female sentiment of the time.
to reach new heights if we're all created equal. That's us too. But you will probably not recall that it's not been too long at all since we even had the right to cast a vote. Well, sure, some men bowed down and called us missiles. Let us hang the watch out and wash the dishes. But when the time rolled around to elect a president, what did they say, sister? What did they say? They said, oh, see you later, alligator. And don't forget my, my, my mashed potatoes, cause I'm going downtown to pass my vote for president. But we were suffering until suffering. Not a woman here can vote, no matter what age. In the 90s, the men struck down that restrictive rule. Oh, yeah. And now we pull down on the lever, cast our ballot, and we endeavor to improve our country, state, county, town, and school. Tell them about Could cook the turkey, but they, they could not vote. Even Betsy Ross, who showed the flag, was left behind that first election day. Oh, shame, sisters. Then Susan B., Anthony, yeah. and Julia Howe, Lucretia, Lucretia Ma, and they showed us how they carried signs and marched in lines until at long last the law was passed. Oh, we were suffering until suffering. Oh. Not a woman here could vote no matter what age. Restrictive rule. Oh, yeah. And now we pull down oh, wow. on the lever, cast our ballot, and we endeavor to improve our country, state, county, town, and school. Yes, the 19th Amendment struck down that restrictive rule. JFK rallied a nation behind him as he stood unyielding and unbending in a stare down with Russia to let them know if you take us there, we will meet you there. We marched on Washington, black and white together to codify civil rights and sear the movement into the very souls of our elected leaders. Can you hear us in the echo chambers of time as the very essence of who we are dominates the perception of us as rascals and rowdies? Such perception is accompanied by an unwarranted, deep psychological need to live up to what we're laying down. Child psychologists have warned us for centuries 
that whatever you label, whatever you label you, uh, your child and a, a label that you attach to your child is apt to come to fruition as the child begins to realize you expect that behavior from him or her. So if you tell your son he is just like his no good daddy long enough, don't be surprised if he starts to mimic the undesirable behaviors that you so clearly detest. The same can be said for this great country of ours. As we are taught to back uh, buck against that which is unfair, rally against that which is unequal, and march against all injustices and stand against that which produces societal ills. Aptly stated, we are a nation founded on challenging the status quo. Well, for years, the civility we did possess was rooted in a commonality known by many in the South as mother wit or common sense. Mother wit was the root of all teaching that we received at home and in the community. Now, mother wit taught us to always keep our house at least relatively clean just in case somebody decided to stop by. I can't get no help over here. Let me talk over here. Mother wit taught us to respect our parents and our elders to the point of addressing them as ma'am and sir. Mother wit taught us that cussing was not necessary to get our point across. And if we did cuss, it wasn't supposed to be done in public. Mother wit, somebody say mother wit. Mother wit taught us the importance of helping our neighbors and sharing resources even when what we had was meager at best. Help me say mother wit. Mother wit taught us to work hard, produce an honest day's living, and do what we could for ourselves before we went out and asked for other people to help us. Help me say mother wit. Mother wit taught us the importance of family. Even the family members who got on our everlasting last nerve. Help me say mother wit. Mother wit taught us not to go into public dressed any kind of way. Understanding, understanding that certain clothes were for the bedroom and certain clothes were for the nightclub. Help me say mother wit. mother wit. Mother wit taught us to steer clear of controversial topics that could boil the blood of listeners or at least tread lightly 
with that topic to avoid offending others. One last time, help me say mother wit. Mother wit taught us to act with pride and dignity in public. Even when our patience was tested to the limit because your reputation was expected to outlast your response. But as time marches on, we are faced with a dilemma. The more civilization advances in technology, the more we decrease in civility. From a, a social scientist perspective, it is easy to see why this phenomenon is occurring. Each technological advancement designed to make our lives more efficient and more effective pulls us away from the very foundation of what humanity is truly built on. That little word called interaction. The more or the less we interact with people who are not like us, they don't act like us, they don't even think like us, the more intolerant we are of that which challenges our ever-changing and ever-evolving sense of normalcy. A quick example of how technological advancement hinders societal interaction occurs nightly in many homes across America. Let's think about it. Let's, let's try this quick example. I would like you, if you're under the sound of my voice, I want you to stand if someone lives in your home with you, whether that's a child, a spouse, or a friend, I want you to stand. If someone lives with you, okay, stay standing. Those of you that are standing, stay standing. Now listen, of those of you standing, I want you to keep standing if you and the occupants in your home eat dinner together most of the time. If you don't eat together a whole lot, then sit down. All right? Of those of you standing, keep standing. If no electronic devices like cell phones, televisions, or radios are allowed during dinner time. Now, now, of those of you standing, keep standing if conversing during dinner is commonplace for your household. Now look around the room and see how many people are standing. Thank you, you may be seated. Did you notice how what used to be commonplace, for instance, eating dinner together has become somewhat outdated notion within the family and or relational structure? 
Simply put, the less face-to-face time we spend with each other, the less we will know how to deal with a person. And it is under this scenario that civility takes a bow and exits stage left. So some aspects of technological advancement dulls our sense of human interaction. We must also understand another aspect of technology, the phenomenon of hiding in plain sight. And my friend asked earlier, what does it take to get the message out? Should it be this? Should it be that? Should it be this? What I'm finding is you have to use all of that and some at the same time to get one message out. We see this play itself out in social media of every kind. Chat spaces, virtual forums, Facebook, Messenger, and any other place where people can openly express themselves without fear of reprisal. And even if the person does face reprisal, he or she simply unfriends you or removes you from their contact list and they keep right on expressing themselves in a way that offends the very essence of civility. Take, for example, and this is true, a team of two students I was prepping years ago for the International Ethics Case Competition. For the sake of understanding the dynamics a bit better, one of the team members was a white male in his senior year of college while his partner was a black female in her sophomore year of college. At first, they were the perfect team. They played well off of each other, and the chemistry between them as oratorical presenters was strong, which was necessary to have a competitive and successful team. At one point, I wondered, as their team coach, whether or not they might even be a little bit romantically attracted to each other. Our prep sessions were going well until the male did something to irk the female. And instead of her addressing the issue openly and professionally, she took to social media to express her dissatisfaction with him. She never said his name on social media, but it was obvious who she was referring to. All of a sudden, I have a 22-year-old young man sitting in my office crying crocodile tears because of what has been said about him by someone too immature and too unforgiving to deal with her disdain in a professional and a civil manner. After a stern warning from me to the young woman to cease and desist, another occurrence of the same thing forced me to do something I had never done before. I had to kick her off the team. We found another replacement team member, and although the two, the new duo did not place in the competition, a sense of calm and normalcy was restored because of the change I had to make. While the behavior of the young woman seemed okay when we convened our meetings in person, her utilization 
her utilization of social media as a weapon to vent her frustrations were clearly done with no full understanding or care of how it negatively affected and was hurting those around her. Now we see this behavior play itself out every day in municipalities all over the country. Telephone calls peppered with obscenities. Written correspondence laced with threats. Physical visitations to business offices becoming shouting matches and or scenes of workplace violence. Many cities across the country have to hire security guards to escort you to and from the parking lot to ensure your safety. Clear bulletproof glass has been installed in order to keep employees safe. Home security companies are booming with business as it becomes necessary to surround your house with working security cameras and law enforcement linkages to keep police accessible at a moment's notice. Conceal and carry feels like a necessity just to feel safe simply walking down the street. How then do we bring civility back into the workplace? Well, first and foremost, we have to understand what civility is. We know it is not cussing someone out when we get upset with them. I can't get no help over here. Let me talk over here. <laughs> we know that civility is not engaging in a physical altercation when our food at McDonald's takes too long and it's cold when we get it. We know that civility is not cranking the music up and being heard several blocks away when you are in a hospital zone or near a church service. We know that civility is not pulling a gun out and pointing it at the person who cut you off in traffic. We know that civility is not lying with every breath that you breathe. So that the option of trusting your words and actions is lost in the abyss of doubt. So Oxford defines civility as formal politeness and courtesy in behavior or speech. Now the etymology of the word lies in the Latin word civis, C-I-V-I-S which means civilian. So civilized conduct or civility must begin within each person. To do this, persons immersed in civility must master the art of balance within their own lives. Now I refer to balance as a state of being within a person's life that allows that person to put forth their best persona most, if not all, of the time. 
Having balance does not mean everything in your personal or professional life is perfect. There are times in everyone's life where one part of your life, sometimes several parts of your life, they're out of sync. But a balanced person can compartmentalize each part to deal with associated issues as their best self. How can you tell when a person has balance? How can you tell it? It's easy. If a person can consistently deal with irate customers and patrons with uninterrupted respect and a peace that defies logic, that person is usually pretty balanced. Look at the person who is considered a calming force within the office. The type of person you don't mind approaching for sage advice because you know he or she is not, has not become bitter with life circumstances. A balanced person knows how to avoid burnout by taking vacations and staycations and will do whatever is necessary to not become overwhelmed by the pressures of life. A balanced person knows how to make proverbial lemonade out of lemons and will consider the glass half full before looking at it as half empty. That, my brothers and my sisters, is your balanced person. Balance doesn't come overnight. It is always a work in progress. How do we achieve balance? Well, it's different for everyone. But engaging in that which brings you wholeness is a, actually a pretty good start. Notice I didn't say what brings you pleasure. I said what brings you wholeness. Although somewhat intertwined, that which brings you pleasure does not always bring completeness or wholeness. Wholeness can be defined as that which makes you a better you. Look at somebody and tell them, that which makes you, you're not looking at, look at, look at the person that's better looking than you. That which makes you a better you. Consider, consider the following examples, which are personal and applicable to me. Now, personally, I find pleasure in watching movies at the theater, but I achieve wholeness in taking a self-reflective walk in nature. I find pleasure in spending time with my friends, but I achieve wholeness when the conversation with my friends helps me to grow intrinsically. I find pleasure in earning enough money to take care of me and my family, but I achieve wholeness when I can use my resources to help others who are genuinely in need. 
I find pleasure in my coworkers and employment associates. But I achieve wholeness when we work together cohesively as a group toward a common goal. I find pleasure, as you can see, in cooking for others. But I achieve wholeness when I teach others how to cook. In each of these cases, the results of my wholeness enhances who I am as a person. Now you have to think, what do I do in my life that makes me a better me? As if you didn't know, as an ordained minister... As an ordained minister, I support the institution of marriage, but I have never been married. I also think, yeah, uh uh-oh. Baby, thou see me after this, we'll talk. I also, I also think having children is a wonderful thing. (laughs) But children have never been produced out of my loins. My 28-year-old nephew occupies the other half of my house. And by the way, he pays me rent. (laughs) And money. I am blessed to have a comfortable life. And when I come home, I don't tolerate anything that will disturb the peace that exists in my house. If you want to raise hell, do it somewhere other than my house. You want to break the rules of my house, do it someplace other than in my home. It is with this frame of reference that I bring about my second point concerning civility. Civility has to be expected, supported, and demanded in the workplace, both internally and externally. Now, when I refer to internal, I mean civility between coworkers. When I refer to external, I mean civility between the staff and the public. Now, let us consider the obvious. If I am simply not a people person and I prefer to do my work behind the scenes and outside the purview of the public, why on earth would anybody make me the receptionist? If I have a problem with my temper, I am overly expressive, somewhat loud and brash in my speaking tone, and usually hard to get along with 
What idiot made me the supervisor? I can't get no help over there. I like y'all over here. I know you can't say nothing because you might be sitting next to the person I'm talking to. If I openly talk about everybody else's problems and can't hold water or I leak information like a sieve, who was stupid enough to label me as the go-to person on the team? One of the major issues in the workplace is that we don't like conflict. So we promote people who are ill-prepared for certain positions because they haven't found balance in their life. The person will lead you to believe that promoting them will bring about the balance that they are looking for. But if you are cussing people out before the promotion, what make you think it's going to change when I give you the promotion? No, 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 no. Your behavior needs to reflect the level of professionalism you aspire to achieve. In other words, the old folks used to say, your attitude determines your altitude. Supervisors, you must model the behavior that you expect out of your colleagues. It is your job to be the example of civility in the workplace. This is not the time to espouse a do as I say, not as I do mentality. It is incumbent upon you to lead the charge in being balanced in the workplace so that your coworkers will respect you and model your behavior. It got quiet up in here, but I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> the more you backslide in this area of leadership, the more you will lose control over civility in your area. Let me put a pin in what I just said and state something you wouldn't think that I would say. When I'm teaching ethics at the college level, one aspect of our ethical decision-making process supports the old adage of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, although I understand the foundation of that statement, I have found that in today's time, we must consider society and circumstances when we say that. So how about this? Treat me better than you want to be treated. That way, I know the right example is set. Let me give you an example. If I loan my car to my nephew and I only have a half tank of gas, the minimum expectation is that he will bring it back with the same amount of gas in it. But if he wants to delight me, and if he wants to gain my favor, he will fill the tank up and wash my car. 
way, Todd, if he ever wants it again, I have no problem giving him the keys. <laughs> Civility works much in the same way. Demonstrating the behavior you expect to receive is the minimum requirement. But if you want to delight someone, demonstrate behavior that goes over, that exceeds what you would ever do for yourself. Supervisors, leaders, directors, you must demand respect and civility in the area that you are in charge of. You will never gain respect from coworkers by showing favoritism. Everyone who reports to you should be expected to consistently demonstrate civility in the work setting. Liking and getting along with a person is not a prerequisite for civility. There are plenty of people I am in constant contact with that I really don't hold in high regard. But I'm civil to them and I demonstrate respect for them just as I, at a minimum, expect them to do with me. Now, I'm well aware that there are people who do not care for me. I know that. Thank God I'm over that. There's, there's an advantage to being big and black. I understand I'm not perfect. I make lots of mistakes. I have flaws. But I expect there to be a mutual respect regardless of my flaws. And it is your job to demand that from all employees there be respect. To be more direct, personal feelings take a back seat to professionalism and civility. Now, I have worked for a company where the executive VP believed it was perfectly okay to verbally assault you in one-on-one -on -one meetings where it was well known how he would engage in shouting matches with various levels of leadership within the company. His style of leadership could be overbearing and abusive at times. Now, I want you to understand he wasn't all bad. He would walk around the company on Fridays and talk to everyone to see how they were doing. He remembered little details about what you said and will follow up with you on those details. But to the chagrin of the supervisors around the company, if someone complained about something, he would call the supervisor about that concern and have a one-on-one -on -one with them. But again, he thought it was okay to yell and scream and cuss someone out to get his point across. I didn't really realize it then, but as time has gone on, I now realize how out of balance his life was. Why do I say that? Why do I say his life was out of balance? How else do you explain someone committing suicide while in the role of executive vice president? Remember, as a leader, you've got to be the example, and hopefully even more than the example of civility than you wish to experience. Now I'm almost done. 
Supervisors, leaders, and directors, you must also support your coworkers when they are confronted with irate, rude, demeaning, volatile, and uncivil customers and patrons. Make it a point to verbally reward those who have maintained civility in the face of internal and external pressure. We used to say that old saying, a little dabble, do you? Well, a little praise and support goes a long way in municipal government. Don't forget, we live in a polarizing time where it is not unheard of to encounter people who take great delight in poking the sleeping bear. In other words, they take great delight in getting things riled up for no reason. Their life is out of balance and they want your life to be out of balance. A good friend of mine stated it best by labeling, labeling them as doo-doo starters. <laughs> she just didn't use the word doo-doo. <laughs> use your staff meetings to let everyone know how much you appreciate them, keeping their cool in the face of mounting pressure to retaliate and say something that can only escalate a bad situation. Celebrate employees who go out of their way to make things better for the customer. Find out what intrinsic motivations make your employees tick and stroke their ego in that area when warranted. Remember, Studies have shown that money is usually not the most important thing in the workplace that keeps people happy. But it is the relationships that people form in the environment that they work in. You are in charge of that environment. So don't tolerate incidences and events that will supercharge it with the wrong energy. So... When we come, when we can properly balance our personal and professional lives by expecting the best out of ourselves and others and not accepting any less, we will have found the box of civility. The keys of ethical behavior and ethical leadership will mostly, will most certainly open the box for the two of them work hand in hand. The keys of ethics is the essence of doing that which is right. And the box of civility is the demonstration of doing what is right. So understanding those concepts and not allowing anyone to throw you off balance will restore and maintain civility in the workplace. You have the power within. Make the most of it and unlock the box of civility with the keys of ethics. Right. Now let me share, as I'm getting ready to go back to my seat, let me share something with you. It's happened to me for real. First of all, I knew when I was born, I was different. I was just different from being a normal. First of all, I'm from a single parent home. Now, I had a stepfather 
periodically in the building, in the, in the house, but it wasn't consistent. Mama was everything to me. Okay. My mother was not a fighting woman per se, although she was from Chicago and she could whoop some tail. <laughs> but my mother didn't teach me how to fight. So when I was in preschool and I would come home because this boy was bothering me all the time and my mother would look at me and say, you know what, stop complaining. When you get tired enough of it, you'll do something about it. In the, in the meantime, do not complain to me. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I'm not telling you to tell you, you know, I'm not telling y'all to do this, okay? <laughs> so when I got tired of it, you all know they used to make Tonka trucks out of steel. I think they made them, they, they moved them over to plastic because of people like me. Because when I got tired, that young man needed about 17 stitches when I got done with him. I'm not proud of that. But I wasn't taught to fight. I was just taught to defend myself when I had to do it. So fighting is not in my nature. So let's picture years later, when I'm working at this company, same company where the executive vice president eventually, after I was gone, committed suicide. Here I am working, wonderful job. Single man, making around $60,000 a year. I mean, you know, that's good. No kids, no wife. Huh? Some of y'all wish y'all was like that right now, right? <laughs> I know you can't say nothing. You're sitting right next. <laughs> I was living good, living La Viva Loca, okay? But I thought, I knew it was time for me to leave the job. You, you ever get to a place in, in, in your professionalism where you just kind of know it's time for me to move on from where I am? But I thought I was going to leave on my own and do it when I felt like doing it. I, I had had a couple job interviews and turned them down. I mean, offers that literally came from me, making more money than what I was making. But I enjoyed doing what I was doing so much that I just kept working. I said, well, when the right thing comes along, I'll take it. And one day on a Friday around 3 o'clock, my boss poked her head in my door, said, um, when you get off the phone, I, I need to see you. I said, okay. I can't even remember who I was talking to, but I remember telling the person, what do this woman want? <laughs> woman always wants something. On Friday, I'm ready to go. Let me get off the phone, go in here and see what this woman wants. So I hung up the phone and went into my boss's office. Now, you have to understand that where my office was, because I was in HR, so where my office was, was right across from the conference room in HR. And every time they would fire someone. They would come to my office and tell me, just keep a watch on what's going on in there about this time, because if anything jump off, we're going to need you to help. <laughs> okay? So that was my role, okay? 
I went into my boss's office. They said, close the door. And I closed the door. It was her sitting on her side of the desk. And right next to me, sitting in a chair, was the vice president of HR. And now what I'm about to say, um, some of you are, are going to understand it and you're going to take it for what it is. And some of you are going to say, he crazy. I don't believe nothing he just said. And that's okay because this is my experience, okay? But I'm not going to back down from what I know to be reality for me. I heard my supervisor say, we're letting you go because you are no longer a fit for your position. Same position I've been in over five years. Never got a bad review. But it was an at-wheel state. Y'all know what that means, right? Okay? At will, for you young folks, that means that we can get rid of you at will. We ain't got to come up with no good excuse. We just, if we want you out of there, you're out. Okay? Everything they said after that was want 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 Now, here is here is my reality that some of you will not understand. And frankly, it's never happened to me like this ever in life, except this one time. I felt what I will call my ethereal self come out of my body. And I was hovering in the office, looking down at myself. And here are the words that I said to myself. This is true. It's not meant to be comical, but it's true. I said to myself, oh, so this is how people go postal. And once I said those words, I felt my gobbled, doppelganger kind of float down in my body. And the next thing I heard them say, well, we're going to give you a, a, a severance package. And, and that's, that's about the time I came back to myself, okay? <laughs> I had them to go back and repeat it. What, 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 excuse me, how much you going to give me? We're going to give you a severance package, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay. I was torn up on the inside. Now, when I was floating above myself, I could see myself, not I didn't do it, but I could see myself, because I was thinking, I'm next to the door. I could turn over this desk, <laughs> pimp slap her, <laughs> and even though he's in better physical shape than I am, I give him a run for his money before they can get out this office. But mama, mama them, did not teach me to be violent. And when I got done, the only thing I asked was, can I come in tomorrow to clean out my stuff? Because I'm just not ready to do it today. And the vice president said, yes, absolutely. He met me the next morning. I took three hours 
to go through every single file and to make sure that the person who came in after me would be able to pick up where I left off. Am I, am, was that easy to do? No. I could, I, could, I could, you know, set a fire back there if I wanted to. But mama them taught me how to respect myself. And the message I want to leave with you today is that civility lies basically in the workplace in two places. The most important of those two is within yourself. And then I need a supervisor to back me up. Did you see the clip that we started with? Notice that the woman who he was literally this close to yelling, she never yelled back. She held her peace and she said the exact same thing. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. She stood her ground. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. It takes inner peace to be able to do that. And then I need a supervisor who will help me and, 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 and reward me if it's nothing but walking in my office after an incident, closing the door and say, you know what? I really admire and respect how you did that. I need more people in here like you doing that. That is the stuff that helps us unlock the box of civility with the keys of ethics. Thank you. Feel like it would be appropriate to say amen at this time? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. McCoy, thank you for that. I think, uh, I think we all leave here looking uh, to make ourselves better, understanding civility, and uh, sharing with others. So thank you for taking your time and being with us tonight.